Good morning, Midland Free. Well, Pastor Gibb just told me to have fun, so, all right, here we go. Blessing granted. I'm also really glad that he said, um, share cookies with your neighbors, because I live next to a lot of you. I think this is going to be a good Christmas. Welcome to Midland Free. My name is Jeremy. I'm, you know, always practicing my jokes. It's so fun. You guys are so nice to me. Thanks for letting me do that. We're glad you're here. We love you. We're welcoming you. Um, And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm uh, starting a new sermon series this week, and it's entitled Joy Now, Then, and Forever. And what I'm doing is basically just trying to sum up Genesis to Revelation in a couple days. How's that? Good? All right, so we got a little bit of ground to cover this morning. Really, here's what's going to happen. Um, we were previously in the book of Galatians, which is really nice for me because I can say this week I preached on this chapter and next week I'll preach on this chapter. And it's a very clear, linear, progressive path. What we're doing now is we take a break often for several weeks at this time of year to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so that's what we do at this time of year. And then the way we do it is we do these series uh, for a few weeks. And so this one is sort of taking the both and approach or the original and then the best or the not quite and then here it actually is. And so what I'm doing is looking back at some of the old sort of prefigures or shadows, or types, or hints of Christ. And then I'm stepping to the other side and saying, now look at the real Christ. Isn't that cool? So much better. We had one version over here, and now we have another version over here. Which one do you like? Which one do you think is better? Which one encourages you? So this one will move through uh, these characters right here like this. The type and the anti-type. Those are just literary terms, but... You can remember it however you want. But we start with Jacob, and we'll see how Jesus is the true and better Jacob. Jacob dreams of God's presence, and that's the sermon we'll look at today. But the next one we'll go to is Joseph, and we'll see, okay, here's Joseph. He's pretty good. You know, he's pretty impressive. He's way better than I'll ever be. And yet he's still not Jesus. But like Jesus, Joseph was sold to save his people, to redeem them. And so we'll look at Joseph. And then there's this Old Testament prophet, the last and greatest one by the name of John the Baptist. He says some really crazy stuff like baptism by fire and spirit and wind and all this stuff. And so we're going to try to show you the comparison between the prophet John and the fulfillment Jesus. And then ultimately on Christmas Day, we'll look at the fulfillment itself, Jesus the joy of man's desiring. So we'll move through these sort of both ands already, not yet, type, anti-type, to celebrate the ultimate fulfillment of the presence of God with us in Christ our Lord. So that's the sermon series that's coming up. And today we're going to begin with this rascal and scoundrel and liar by the name of Jacob. Um, his journey is a very interesting one, and what's so cool about it is that it encourages me um, because 
the same way that God deals with Jacob, God deals with us. And what a blessing that is. I mean, if everybody in Scripture was like Joseph, eh, I'm not sure that I could identify that well, right? I mean, if he gets it right every time, and here's the example, I'm just discouraged. But the fortunate thing is, throughout the pages of Scripture, they're not all Joseph's. Instead, actually, many of them are exact opposite. you got Jacob's, Jonah's, Gideon's, Peter's. You know, all these guys who struggle with this thing, whatever it may be, whether it's lying or fear or disobedience or fear of people or whatever, and then they have a big coming to Jesus moment, and they get saved, they change. But then what you see is they struggle with that same thing after that. It's not like they just get better and all of a sudden all their struggles go away. I wish it were the case, don't you? I mean, we have our big coming to Jesus moment, and we go into the room, say, I'm sorry, Lord, we walk out, we're all better and perfect now, right? It's not the way it works for me. I don't know how it works for you, but even though I'm up on a stage, I'm not perfect. I guarantee you, walk up those steps, you won't be either. It doesn't work like that. There's a lot of steps, right? And we keep walking and walking and walking, and sometimes it feels like we're falling back down. So here we are looking at this guy, Jacob, and he is an encouragement because, you know, look at the miracles in the New Testament, and you got the sinful woman, and she goes to Jesus, and she's healed, and you never hear from her again. You think, oh. Man, she just lived perfect after that, right? She had her come into Jesus moment, and she's done. But on these other characters that we have more information and more space with, what you see is their struggle goes on and on and on. It just doesn't end, not until you get to glory. And so here is Jacob, and it's such a blessing, such an encouragement. I hope it will be to you today as well. Um, and what you see is this. For this sojourner, this is how it works. Here's the paradigm that I will show you playing out in Genesis chapter 28 and then hopefully playing out in your life as well. So here's a Jacob paradigm. Put this over the top of Jacob and then put this over the top of you as well. This is how God deals with Jacob and probably how God is dealing with you. The Jacob paradigm, number one, he's a sojourner. He's a sojourner or a pilgrim or a traveler or someone on his Merry way, whatever you want to call it, here's this guy who's on his both physical journey and a life journey as well. Metaphorically and in reality, he's a traveler. He is on a journey. And then out of the blue comes God. And Jacob doesn't have all the revelation that we do. This is just sort of striking to him because he doesn't have the Bible So it's very much out of the blue. All of a sudden, God meets with him. Bang! There's God. God jumps in. He interrupts. Not only does he interrupt, but he actually pursues Jacob. Because Jacob is traveling along his merry way, and all of a sudden, God taps him on the shoulders like, (laughs) Yoo-hoo! Remember me? Probably not. Here I am. And I'm about to change your life. My name's God. This is how I work. So he jumps in with divine intervention in a miraculous and powerful way based in no way whatsoever on the goodness of Jacob, but entirely on the divine sovereignty and grace of God. So there is God pursuing him, and then you see still this giant gulf between them because even though it's God, 
and God is pursuing, Jacob's still a sinner, and God just can't deal with that, right? He can't hang with sin. So there has to be some bridge, some way of overcoming this gap, this enormous, infinite gulf between perfect deity and sinful humanity. You just don't bring those two things together and have a nice little tea party. It doesn't work like that. Instead, there has to be a bridge. And so you'll see God doing that with Jacob. And then, after that bridge is established, you will see God assuring and blessing him. So basically, who's doing all the work here? Is it Jacob? I don't think so. You look at the work of Jacob and see how that stacks up. It's not too great. The divine mover, the divine power, the divine grace, the divine work here is all the divine. (laughs) It's all God, not Jacob. His efforts really don't amount to a whole lot, and neither do ours. So Genesis chapter 28, I'm going to read you these verses. This is a story from long ago, true story. And although it's very different, I think you'll also see it's very much the same. This is the story of Jacob. Um, towards the beginning, but not at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 28. It says this. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth, that's you and me, shall be blessed. Here's his great promise to to Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. And he was afraid. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He called the name of that place Beth-el, or Beit-el, house of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here is our sojourner, Jacob, and he's traveling along the way. You read this thing about Beersheba to Haran, and what's happened up until this point is he has lied to his father and stolen from his brother. (laughs) In other words, their family's not doing so great. (laughs) You know, how would that go over with you? Uh, My son just totally lied to me, stole everything uh, that belonged to his brother and ran away. Yeah, things are not going so well. And so he's running away, and he's trying to find a wife, because that's what every guy wants to do, right? Off he goes, looking for his happy home. And along the way, God meets with him in a very strange way, through a dream. 
He doesn't have any revelation up until this point. The Bible's not written, so God just appears to him in this dream. And what he sees in this dream is this ladder or staircase or however you want to call it, whatever you want to envision it as, this transportation up to heaven. And something like an escalator or whatever, there are angels descending and ascending on it. And basically what that's saying to him is, Jacob, God is removed. He is far away from you. But even though he is, he's choosing to communicate with you. And as a result, you're seeing communication going up and down from the divine presence back down to earth, back and forth again. Messengers are moving back and forth. God is listening to you. God is with you. He is opening up the heavens to make a way for for you. Jacob, are you listening? Yes, Lord, I am. Okay, then here's what I have to say. Listen, behold, I will be with you and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. Whoa, did you hear that? What a promise is that? I will be with you and I won't leave until I get the job done. That's what I like to hear. I hope that's what you want to hear. What do you want to hear from your contractor? Hey, I got half your roof done, but uh, winter's coming, so I'm going to go sit by my fireplace and warm up a little. No, you don't leave till you get the job done. That's what we want. And for a contractor, it may be a short time, but for God, it's eternity. And he's saying to Jacob, I'm not going to leave you. This process doesn't end with your little dream here. This is where it just begins. I am with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does this sound familiar? What if we had a promise like that? Wouldn't that be amazing if we actually had a promise from God that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I will be with you to the ends of the earth, and I will not quit until I've completed what I started? How would that make you feel? That's from the divine, almighty sovereign power of the universe. This is not from Pastor Jeremy whose car breaks down and may or may not make it on time. This is God who's there all the time, everywhere, and can assure you that he has the resources to accomplish whatever he wants to get done. This is the type of promise that Jacob have, and guess what? This is the type of promise that we have as well. So here is God chasing the sojourner, bridging the gap, and now assuring and blessing him. I am with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And Jacob wakes up and he's like, whoa, <laughs> guess what? I guess God's here. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Pretty funny, huh? Has that ever happened to you? No, not me. I always recognize the hand of God at work. I see it everywhere. I'm like, oh, there's God. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's not until the two-by-four comes alongside the back of the head that you see it, right? Whack! Whoa! There's God! Now I see it! last 15 years you've been trying to tell me this, and I just got it today. That's pretty good, Jeremy. You're a sharp one. (laughs) Not bad! Whoa! The Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. That is Jacob's response. And that is our response many times as well. God is sovereign. He's everywhere and we don't even see it. Here's Jacob 
the sojourner traveling along, worried about his brother, worried about his dad, worried about whatever else. And all of a sudden, God says, hello, here I am. You may have been missing this for a long time, but I'm here and I'm at work and I'm not leaving until I get done. Amen? Is that good? I think that's good. I think that's great. It is the Jacobs and the Jonas and the Gideons and the Peters. These are the guys that give me a dose of encouragement. And I hope they will give it to you as well. What we want to see in our life, you know, we want to see the come to Jesus moment. He had a dream. Give me a dream, Lord, a vision. Tomorrow morning I'll be better. (laughs) I get a magical opening of heaven. I will see you and my whole life will be changed. You know what he was before this moment? A liar. You know what he was after this moment? A liar. For a long time. Did God quit and say, I'm done. Sorry, you blew it again. Going somewhere else. I'm going to find another people group to use. Is that what he did? No, he stuck with this liar. And despite the baby wars and the father-in-law thing and the brother reconciliation and the rest of his messy life, God is still there. That's a good God. That's the one I want. Not the one that's basing his work upon me and my heart and my condition, but the one that doesn't change, i.e. him. This is what you want. It's a real and sure promise like this. Do we have something like that? Have you read the New Testament? Begins with... Foreigners in a foreign land, sojourners and sinful people, liars, thieves, and sinners like us. And we are sinners separated from our God and condemned in every way. We, like Adam and Eve, are fleeing from our sin, embarrassed and ashamed to talk with the Almighty. And yet, eternal God in his grace, just like with Jacob, pursues us. And the really cool thing is, is God never loses anything. If you walk around my house, you see something entirely different. (laughs) Have you seen my, is the frequent question we're asking. Whether it's from me or my oldest son or my middle son, it's always like, hey, Robin, hey, mom, hey, so-and-so, have you seen my... (laughs) I gotta have a system to find my keys. I gotta have a system to find my wallet. I gotta have a system to keep my head on straight. I lose stuff. But God never loses anything. In fact, He's committed to keeping everything He has ever owned and never losing a single thing. So, what happens then when a wayward sheep runs off the wrong way? Does God look the other way and say, whoop, lost it? Don't know where that one went. No way. He's committed to not losing it. And so he goes after it and gets it. And that's what the New Testament tells us in Luke chapter 15 to a bunch of tax collectors and sinners just like us. Jesus tells them this story. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And then, just like the cross, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, let's have a party. Not only am I rejoicing, but I command you to rejoice as well. For I have found that which was lost, not that which I lost, but that which lost itself. 
But it never really was lost because I knew where it was. So I just went and got it. That which was lost, not to me, but to you and to it. I didn't lose it and I never will. Nothing can pluck them out of my hand. And that's the way God is. Just so there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who thought they didn't need to. God pursues us. You think you need one coming to Jesus moment? You need a million coming to Jesus moments. You need to repent every single day. One is not enough. That's great. You got saved. Keep going. Don't stop. Work it out. You need to repent and repent and repent and repent over and over again. Not because God didn't forgive your sins the first time, because you've sinned again since then. And you're probably just about to. And so am I. God pursues us. One fellow I read said it like this, that true righteousness is not someone who never sins, but instead, the most righteous person is the one who has the shortest gap between their sin and repentance. That's the righteous one. You need to come into Jesus' moment, and it wasn't just once. So, God pursues us like lost sheep, and he bridges the gap, just like he did with Jacob. Now, how does he do that with us? Church people, you're sitting here, you probably already know, but let me make it explicitly clear. What image, I'm asking you this question for real, what image did God give to Jacob in his dream to bridge the gap? What image? Ladder, stairs, whatever. Genesis 28:12. here it is. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. Okay, he gave him that image. Now, what was happening? I'm just refreshing your memory because I'm going to ask this question in just a minute. What was happening on that ladder? Remember what? Angels are going up and down. Right, good. So there's a, a ladder, and angels are going up and down on it. That's what makes the bridge to heaven. Okay, got it? All right. Now, in John chapter 1... Uh, Jesus is calling his disciples. Don't, you don't have to show this text yet. Um, he's calling Philip and Nathaniel. And it's a beautiful story, one of my favorites in the whole Bible. And here's, here's the dialogue that goes down. In chapter 1, verse 47, it says this, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of Nathaniel, Ah, behold, here's a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Oh, wait, who's he talking about there? Uh, what was another name for Jacob? What was it? Israel. And what did Jacob always do? I said he was a what? Liar. But now we just saw another what? Jacobite, who there's no deceit. Hmm, I wonder where we're going with this thing. Now Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called to you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel said, wow, <laughs> this guy's everywhere. Uh, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he figures it out just from that little bit of information. That's pretty good. But it doesn't stop there. That's pretty cool. Jesus is omniscient and omnipresent. 
And Nathaniel just got that. He's like, oh, here's a guy who can read my heart, read my mind, and see me where he's not. That's pretty cool. I think he's God. Yep, you're right. But there's more. Watch this. You ready, Nate? Here we go. Here's the real kicker. Verse 51, Jesus says, Because I said to you, you saw me, I saw you under a fig tree. Is that why you believe? You'll see even greater things than these, son of Israel, son of Jacob. And Jesus said to him in verse 51, Truly, truly, that means like if you don't get this, you don't get anything. I say to you, ah, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the bridge. What is that bridge? Son of man. Oh. Things have changed. The dream is coming true. It's no longer a hypothetical imagined reality about some mystical stairway to the heavens. That bridge is here. Amen. In front of me. Right there. And Nathaniel, you're looking at it. Do you see this? What was Jesus referring to? Himself. In Jacob's dream, heaven opened. The eternal God has now bridged the gap between heaven and earth. And this time, instead of a silly, hypothetical, imaginary ladder, it is Jesus in the flesh. The God-man works like this. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, he is fully God. Born of the Virgin Mary, he is fully man. Consequently, as fully God and fully man, he can bridge that gap that nobody else can. Fully God and fully man. Here's your letter, ladder to heaven. One commentator says it like this. Jesus becomes the new way between heaven and earth. Jacob's ladder on whom Angels descend. He bridges the gap. Do you understand why he says, I am the way? Because he really is. He's actually the path that you have to walk on if you want to go up to God. He is the way and the truth and the life. And you're not getting there unless you go across this bridge. Jesus is the gap. If you still haven't got it yet, go to John 3 and look what happens. He's having this conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. You know, this is a big one because he's like, you must be born again, right? And we quote this one, John 3.16. You know what comes right before John 3.16? Here's a hint. 15, yeah. Look at 15, actually look at 13. Let's go back that far. What does this say? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven do you see what's happening here jesus is the one ascending and descending not only is he the bridge and the gap but now he's got rid of the angels and all the priests and all the temple and all the sacrifice and all the other stuff that was in between them and god and he's doing it himself he is both the bridge and the one who goes up and down. He's the mediator. He is the high priest. He is the stairway to heaven. 
This is an absolutely beautiful picture, and I really hope you're getting it. So I'm just going to stop here and walk you through it from the very beginning. This is the miraculous plan of the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In the beginning of time, I'm talking way back when. So listen to these words, ascent and descent, up and down, up and down. How is God saving the world? By going up and down, by ascending and descending. When this whole thing starts, God is where? Up, right? God is up. He makes the world. The world falls. The world rebels. Where does God go? Down. He descends. Okay, so he is born of the Virgin Mary. He is in the flesh. But he's actually not quite done yet. He's going to go back up again. He's come down, but what does he go up on? The cross. So he goes up, but he's not all the way up to heaven. He still has to descend further. Where does he descend? Not just to the earth, but under the earth, the end of the grave. So he's gone all the way up from glory, down to the earth, up to the cross, now down below the earth, and now he's going to come up what? Out of the earth. He's going to walk around on the earth for a little bit, and then he's going to ascend up into heaven again to be seated at the right hand of God, where he's reigning currently in power. However, he's not done yet. What else is he going to do? He's going to come back down again, right? And then he's going to go up higher than he ever was because everybody everywhere is going to worship him. And thus, the glory of the original creation where all things were well will be restored. How? By God going up and down and up and down and up and down, back and forth, ascending and descending the ladder, which is now Jesus Christ. This is how he restores, restores the world. He goes up and he goes down. He goes up and he goes down. So I guess if you want to, you can come away from this sermon and uh, you can tell your friends, boy, that pastor of ours, he's really profound. (laughs) What was your sermon about? Well, he said Jesus goes up and down. (laughs) And that's how God saves the world. Wow, that was pretty good. He used flannel graphs? Well, maybe, I don't know. That's the message of God, our Father. And God the Son and God the Spirit, Jesus Christ. The paradigm for Jacob is the same one for us. We are sojourners, wandering around like lost sheep, things a mess, but God bridges the gap by coming up and going down. Now, what was the final thing he did with Jacob? Yes, he assured and he blessed him. Guess what he does with us as well? Assures and blesses us. This concept of the special presence of God goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where humanity walked with him. In reality, as you watch the Christmas commercials and they tell you, you want this and you want that and you'll be happy, I dare you to buy all the stuff they do, (laughs) they say, and then see if you're happy six months from now. It's not going to happen. What you actually want is to walk with God, just like you once did. And the assurance and blessing that God gave to Abraham, he gives to you in the same way and saying, look, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, I'm not going away until I finish what i begun. 
And I've gone up and down a few times, but I've still got one more to go. It goes like this. He actually, he even tells Caiaphas, the high priest of all people, that's what he's going to do. It's kind of funny, right? Like, I mean, the guy is about to send him to be crucified. He lets him in on the big secret. And it's this. Uh, we'll have to skip a couple slides. In verse 64, well, actually, we'll just start in 62. This is neat. Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up and said to Jesus, this is at, right, at his trial, right before his crucifixion, says, what, you got no answer to make? What is it that these men are testifying or lying against you? And Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, which is ironic, right, because who's standing in front of him? Okay. I adjure you by yourself. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to the high priest, you said so. And I tell you from now on, ah, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming or descending upon the clouds of heaven. That is what Jesus promises. And then in Revelation chapter 21, this is the fulfillment of that promise. It goes like this. It says, look, John had a dream. He had a vision. This is the last one. Jacob had one. Now John's getting one. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, ah, what you've always wanted. The dwelling place of God is with man. What did Jacob call the place where God met him? Beth-el, which means house of God. The dwelling of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. And neither will there be mourning or crying or pain. For all the bad stuff has passed away. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels descending on the Son of Man. I don't think it really gets any better than that. Merry Christmas. God with us. Emmanuel. The promise that Jacob had, we have as well. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And lo, I am with you. How long? All the way until the ends of the earth. And when it ends, don't worry. If I'm still there, I'm actually coming back. <laughs> and then I'll come back and I'll fix it and I'll make it right. I'll conquer everything that's bad and I'll build a brand new one. And you don't have to mess with any of this junk anymore. And we're done. And you get to live in harmony and bliss for the rest of your life with no sin, no pain, no nothing. Just walking with you and your good Lord. That's a good day. And that's Christmas. And that is joy now, then, and forever. Father, we thank you for your incredible promises to us. Lord, there's no magic one-step, two-step, three-step plan. There's only you and your perfect plan for all eternity. We can't get it done. We can't accomplish it ourselves. We're just travelers along the way. 
liars, thieves, sinners, afraid, scared, lost, alone. But you in your grace, you seek us, you find us, you restore us, and you make all things new. Dear God, please make all things new in us. In Jesus' name, amen.